0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Speaking of the Arts. We have a couple of exciting announcements to make today. First, I want everyone to know we just launched a brand new website for the podcast. Speakingofthearts.com has a new updated look and feel, and it contains every episode we've done since we launched back in 2015. The newer episodes feature both audio and video versions with our guests. I want to thank my team member Marie LeClaire for all of her work behind the scenes and for making the new website look great. Thanks Marie. Next, I want to draw attention to an exciting webinar we are hosting this Thursday, July 16th, 2020. The webinar is on the topic of live streaming, and we have an incredible lineup of guest speakers who will discuss best practices including how to monetize your next stream. Artists and promoters will especially benefit from the webinar. So please go to epsteinco.com backslash news for more information on how to register for the event. Space is limited, so be sure to sign up soon. Now, on to today's podcast episode. I have wanted to have this guest on the podcast since I started the series and we finally connected. Maria Schneider is a five-time Grammy-winning conductor and composer, and she has worked with everyone from David Bowie to Don Upshaw. In 2019, the National Endowment for the Arts bestowed on Schneider the nation's highest honor in jazz, naming her an NEA Jazz Master. Recently, the National Recording Registry inducted her Grammy-winning album Concert in the Garden into the registry, and she was also given the distinction of being elected into the 2020 American Academy of Arts and Sciences. Schneider has become a strong voice for music advocacy, and in 2014, she testified before the U.S. Congressional Subcommittee on Intellectual Property about digital rights. She has also appeared in CNN, participated in roundtables for the United States Copyright Office, and has been quoted in numerous publications for her views on Spotify, Pandora, YouTube, Google, digital rights, and music piracy. Our conversation centers around Maria's new album, Data Lords, which is now available for order. This is by far her most ambitious project to date, and it is a double album release. Head over to mariaschneider.com now and order yourself a copy. You will not be disappointed. We also talk about Maria's earliest influences, including her musical upbringing, what makes a good band leader, and so much more. I had a blast speaking with Maria, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. All right. So, Maria, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank
0: you for your time, you know, um, I've been wanting to talk to you on this podcast ever since I started the podcast and this seems like the perfect opportunity for us to connect given the exciting new project that you're launching into the world and um, obviously want to have you talk a lot about data lords, but you know, I was thinking maybe even before we get into all of that, um, and not to throw your curveball here, but I'm very curious because this does play into your music. Where does your love of birds come from? Were you always a bird lover?
1: Or? Well, um, let's see. So, so yeah, it happened. I actually, it's it's funny. This is a story I told when when I got the NEA Jazz Master thing, and I was talking about people that can change your life with doing one little act of uh, mentorship or kindness or whatever. So, when when I was little, I uh, uh, we had a bird hit our window and. And it was very unusual looking, and we didn't know what it was. And there was an uh, older man from my hometown named Mort Smith, and Mom knew he was kind of the birding guy, you know. And so she asked him if he would come over and identify it. And it was a really unusual, wonderful bird called a black billed cuckoo, with a long tail, quite a quite a interesting bill on it, and um, and we so we put it in a freezer bag and kept it in the freezer and. He, I guess he recognized that I was just really excited about this bird. And so when it came to be around Christmas time, they have these uh, big bird counts, Audubon bird counts, where everybody in the country counts birds. And they do studies on uh, migration and populations and, and you know, loss of habitat and all sorts of things. And they use that information. And so he invited me to go on an Audubon bird count with him. And that was just like, that really, you know, it was like, wow, this is a thing, you know, and he, he was so good at identifying birds and he was, he was just wonderful and, and that just turned me on. And if not for the fact that also in Wyndham, there was this wonderful pianist, Evelyn Butler, who really got me, ignited the music bug in me. I I think there's no doubt that I would have become an ornithologist because I had it in my head in first grade, I was going to be an ornithologist. So it still is something that I'm completely obsessed with. So, you know, if I had more time, I would be a better birder, but I, you know, I, I love it. And yeah, birds are yeah central to my life.
0: Yeah. And uh, given how busy you are, I think it's wonderful that you've been able to keep it up and periodically take time off to go to various places around the world and experience. Yeah.
1: Usually when that happens, I, it, you know, it coincides with a visit, you know, so I went to Brazil and I, one of the trips I went to in Brazil, I hired a bird guide to take me to the Pantanal for 10 days. And it was just this bird guy and guide and me for 10 days, just seeing as many species as we can and areas we could. And it was just fabulous. And, uh, Mark and I went to the Atlantic Forest on one of my trips to Brazil, so, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's really nice, you know, see, now what you need to do is just book me in the places with wonderful birds. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> no. good
0: point. And then now with social distancing, being outside <laughs> might be the only option for a while.
1: Yes, you know, yes, exactly, that's, that's true, yeah, outdoor, outdoor concerts. People yeah. will know, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm an easy target for gigs if it's an, an interesting birding place. <laughs>
0: well, was one of your trips to Brazil that you just mentioned one of the sources of inspiration for a Concert in the Garden? Or was that
1: a different part um, of it? Concert in the Garden, let me think about that. Uh, 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 Cerulean Skies. It was, it was uh, you'll see, Concert in the Garden was, uh, the music kind of came out of Brazil. I guess There's I'm so
0: thinking about was that inspired by
1: that was, Yeah, that was inspired more by Choro music, um, but not, yeah, not, not birding. Um, but, but, you know, birds also, I think, are, are such a big part, too, of Brazilian culture. Like right now, I'm seeing a cardinal just go by the window here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, Brazilian music is, has been a huge influence on me. But then, you know, birds are that aside. And maybe maybe birds play into the sensibility of Brazilian music. I mean certainly Jobim Antonio Carlos Jobim mm-hmm. was a great birder i mean there's a, there's quite a history of people like that messian, you know, was a fantastic uh, birder ornithologist, you know so yeah i yeah i th- I think that uh birds with the songs and their songs and and just their beauty, you know, it can't help but inspire an artist of any kind, I think.
0: It's really clear in your writing that it's been a big part of it. Um, OK, before we get into Data Lords, I've heard you in previous interviews talk about your piano teacher, Evelyn.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What do you think about her made her so great in, in in terms of really steering you in the right direction? Like, Was there anything about her that just, as you've had so much experience now as an educator, that you think, oh, she really, um, was good at that?
1: Well, it was that when she performed, and she was a great performer, when she performed, her personality came out in the music and just grabbed you. It was just the joy of making music. The that You know how it is. I mean, you, you look for artists, and you're looking for artists that when they play, something grabs you, something beyond being a good musician, but there's something something extraordinary and she had that, that thing that just made everybody want to be a part of it. It it was just alive and joyful and full of humor and fun and dance and spirit and, and she was, she then technically she was just unbelievable. She was like, you know, in that direction of Art Tatum, you know, she was from Chicago and, uh, Actually, I was just talking a lot to uh, Gene Paul, who's been mastering my record, and he's the son of Les Paul, Um, and he was talking about his father, uh, uh, you know, uh, being in Chicago for so many years, and I realized that it was, and he worked, I think, on the Jackie Gleason show, and I realized that those were the same years that Mrs. Butler was in Chicago. And Chicago was an amazing scene back then. Um, and so, you know, she only moved to my hometown because of dire circumstances where her husband and son both died. And the, her only living family was her daughter who had married a chiropractor in Wyndham. So it must have been quite a blow for her to, I mean, she must have been really devastated. To leave what she had in Chicago to come to Wyndham, you know. <laughs> so, I, so I think when pretty early on after she got there, there my parents had a party at the house. I heard her. I was like, "That's it. I want to be Mrs. Butler." My hair was super red then. Hers was super red, and I think um, she, she. I think she too could feel that I loved her, and and and, and just one more ingredient she had. There was no delineation between. When she played boogie woogie or stride or classical it, she she played all extraordinarily well. She had an equal knowledge of them all in equal respect. And she shared them all freely. She didn't delineate between things. And I really think that's one of the reasons why music. A lot of people say, well, it's hard to categorize. Well, I had that from the beginning.
0: That makes total sense. That makes total sense. I mean, I always tell people personally, I think there's two types of music, good music and bad music. Yeah. And it's subjective. But I think it also speaks a lot to you at a young age being receptive to to picking up on how um, much she loved music. And as you described, like her character and personality coming through the music, not many young music students would see that right away. So you know, that says a lot, too, that you saw that right away and thought, this is infectious.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I have pictures of that first night, too, that were taken at that party. Wow. And other people brought instruments and were playing, and it was the first night my parents met her, too. She had just moved to Wyndham, and I'm running around in my drop seat pajamas, <laughs> just not wanting to go to bed ever. So, um, Yeah.
0: Um, okay, well, I know from a recent concert I got to see you do with some of the music from Data Awards, one of the songs was inspired by your father as an engineer, a sound engineer? Not a sound engineer, a radio. Um,
1: yeah, well, he was an engineer, but he was a ham radio operator.
0: He so I, th- a- I want to have you talk about that, but but my short question is, so he was a ham radio operator. Was your mom a musician?
1: Um, uh, mom played piano. Mom- yeah actually was quite good at playing chopin and and mom was good she she actually was a good pianist yeah
0: my question is just where do you think your musicianship love of music all things music kind of comes from
1: oh um i well mom was playing music a lot around the house she had a lot of classical records she had some old kind of jazz but not a lot okay um uh, and they had a lot of world music they they she had some music from Peru and from Brazil, you know, some old albums, you know, that were more like folk, almost world that she picked up when they went to, when they went to South America on their honeymoon. Okay. Um, Yeah. But my dad, you know, he's an engineer. He was, he invented a lot, you know, he has a lot of patents and things like that. (laughs) And I think that um, it's a similar mind. I, I, you know, I always thought that my dad because he didn't do music he had a good voice but he sounded great singing holy 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 in church but you know he didn't really know music and my mom played piano quite well but it was years later when uh i first made my album evanescence and i played my dad the cut evanescence and i played it for my parents and My mother's response would usually be something, she always wished I was writing things that more people could sing in a shower. But my dad immediately hooked into the rhythm and the incessant rhythm and of of the, you know, it was this kind of Tony Williams beat that was going on in that. And dad clued into that and the connection and the motivicness of that in aspects of the writing. And I thought, wow, so there's... So, so dad. He had an
0: ear for it. He clearly had an ear.
1: He had an ear and a mind for it. And it, it made me think that it really is about mathematical stuff. Mom is much more into history, story. Dad was more into math, geometry, relationships. He was just really brilliant that way. So, and I think that is, music is largely about that. And so it was, that was a, a wake up moment for like, what kind of mind does music come from? And I, I think it comes from a lot from that kind of a brain and that kind of thinking.
0: That's really interesting. Um, yeah, so, cause I was just kind of curious, you know, um, it sounds like just between the two of them, that was a, that had a big enough influence on you and the exposure you received through your mom's music and listening to it kind of fueled the fire, so to speak.
1: Yeah, and also, you know, mom, I mean, okay, we're talking Wyndham is so small, you know, small town and there's not a lot of influence there, but mom always had instruments around and she had played a little violin when she was young so at some point she got a violin and we were all teaching ourselves from the suzuki method and um she bought a a drum a snare drum and some brushes and a cymbal and some sticks and we took some lessons with somebody that lived in town and and we had a whole basket full of percussion instruments and you know so we would have little jam sessions you know my mom would be on the drums touch touch well i would play something you know on the on the piano some old jada or something like that you know (laughs) so it's like the level was super super low but you know it doesn't matter it's like if you have the love for it you know and the wish for it and then you have along the way the right guideposts and you're listening to the right things i don't think that matters you know right it's about the spirit that's behind it, I think.
0: Well, as a new parent, I'm just so fascinated by what scenarios or more, I, I should say, what environments we can create for our daughter, um, because she's really interested in everything right now as a 20-year-old you, know,
1: you know what I would say? The, and I actually I talk about this in my liner notes. The environment of blank slates. I feel like so many toys and things these days, tell you how to build them, tell you how to do them, how, how to put it together. We had boxes full of paper and paints and scissors and we'd go out and find rocks and use a old, you know, like a, a like a paper carton, you know, that's something, you know, like things that fruits are in and stuff. Mm. And we would use those and make paper frames and get glue and use yarn and make a lion out of some rocks and make these little, you know, sculptural thing I mean we had so much fun just making stuff and to me that's the creative mind where wherever she goes it develops the sense of creativity play the ability to make something from nothing the joy of, of experiencing your own mind and your own creativity as opposed to you know the accomplishment of putting something together like somebody told you to I think there's a big difference. So, I mean, that, I know that was a big part of my childhood from both my parents.
0: And then- to think, Not to cut you off, sorry, but I have to think hearing you describe that being able to play with a blank slate, is there a fair comparison to how you compose and think about composing and not worrying about, um, you, do you understand what I'm trying to say, a blank sheet of paper, music sheet, right? When you compose, is there any connection between those two environments?
1: I think there probably is. I mean, I, I, I hate the blank sheet, <laughs> you know? but, but this might actually, you're touching on something. You just made me think of something I've never thought about. Yes. You might, you might be right about that because I, you know, people have different ways of composing and different things that inspire them. So some people, you know, like somebody to tell them, I want you to write a piece for this person and it's for a commemoration of this event. And, you know, And it's a hundred years from when this happened. And then somebody goes in and they write a piece about it. I can't stand that. I don't work that way. The way I work is, and it's, is that I sit there and I bumble around and I, something comes up in the same way that you'd look at rocks and say, Ooh, that's an interesting shape. That reminds me of this. And then it sort of, it, it sort of shows you what it is and then you help it and you make something. And that's kind of the way I compose. And then after the fact I look at it and I say, you know, with my music, it's like, or as I'm doing it, suddenly it reveals something that is inside of me, you know, because I'm doing it sort of subconsciously. And then all of a sudden I realize, wow, this is, this is reminding me of hang gliding in Brazil, or this is reminding me of, these colors remind me of birding in Central Park. And then that drives it. But the initial thing is, Playing, experimentation, um, discovery—a a mind of anything can happen, and and I think I work best that way. Um, yeah, this is the perfect
0: segue to start to talk about Data Lords. So, so you're um, so tell me about Data Lords and tell me about the conception of this being a dual album. Did that start as you just described? playing with melodies playing trying to not worry about um a concept or you know i'm trying to ask a big question but how do we condense it down because now we've got the final product of this great album project but where did it start from and
1: well it, it started again you know like we were just saying from a place of not being conscious of what was going on and i think the first piece I'm not sure if the first, I have to look at the dates. It was Data Lords and Bluebird, you know, like um, uh, De- I wrote them around the same time. I, actually, yes. I think Data Lords literally uh, uh, premiered a few days before Bluebird. <laughs> and they were so different, these pieces. And right. Bluebird sort of was the pre working with David Bowie Maria, you know, the, it was sort of beautiful and sort of natureful and 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 whimsical and whatever and something about working with David had kind of brought out the the beast in me and it, you know because of my older music that he was attracted to and and I started writing and I felt as I was writing this piece that was coming out of that place it reminded me of this um inundation with data uh, big by big data companies it's kind of everybody wanting your attention, you know, everybody grabbing, trying to get a piece of you, you know, to build their AI or to build their money or their their growth or whatever it, it may be. It's just this feeling of just constantly being used and all going to the end to make something that's more intelligent than we are that many scientists are warning is going to spin out of control and could easily turn on us and destroy us. Um, And so as I was writing the piece, I kind of let it go to that sort of, you know, that apocalyptic ending, you know, and and it was kind of interesting that it was for the Library of Congress, you know, that, um, you know, it deals with lots of copyright issues and and things like that. And so anyway, I, you know, I wrote that piece and then I just started, it's kind of like it, it opened this wound that's already in me, this, frustration about music and rights and what's happened to our profession and in, in terms of financing our recordings and the usury of creative works by uh big data companies and and kind of unleashing you know making it possible for everybody to think somehow that it's okay to get all of that for free and so all the things that go under that umbrella and there's a lot of them now <laughs> Uh started coming out in the music but at the same by the same token I was still like you can see that bird scope in the back I'm still birding and doing other things you know that were bringing out the the beautiful stuff you know the stuff where I shut it all down and I go into that mindset that we were talking about with your daughter of you know just being in nature and looking at clouds and saying that shape looks like that, <laughs> you know, or just whatever it is, just just meditating on the sky or on the water or rocks or nature and poetry and and just reconnecting to that inner part of yourself. And so I started ending up with this very uh, divergent, what would you say, bifurcated, uh, polarized set two sets of music. <laughs> and, and so one night, so there's a wonderful guy, um, Justin Freed, and he's been a participant in my records from very early on. And we've become very close friends. And he came to the jazz standard. He lives in Boston and he was at the standard. And I, you know, we played a set and, and he said, you'll have to record this music. And I said, I don't know how to record this music. It's so polarized, you know, it's like, it doesn't, doesn't make an album and he said well make two albums and I was like oh my god I can't make two albums but then I got thinking about it and I started analyzing what was happening in the in my music that I wasn't conscious of and I realized it is the inundation of the big data of the data big data companies through the internet and all and then the uh, consciously trying to pull away from it and reconnect to all those other things: art, nature, literature, everything. And that that was present in that other music. So so then then I consciously filled in the pieces. I wrote Sputnik. Um, I wrote a piece called "Look Up" for for the other side. And I I realized this is two albums, and this is a story, and this is this is what so many of us are dealing with: this thing of getting lost. In this world, that's making us addicted and telling us what to do, and affecting our mind, affecting our politics, affecting our democracies, affecting our our um, even the wiring in our brain and the wiring in in children's brains. You know that um, it's it's pretty scary stuff. So anyway, that's that's how it happened, and you know so yeah. What is it? You know the art sort of reveals what's going on in one's life without somebody even being aware of it.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, listening to the album a few times through now, I have to hope that people will cite, and when I say album, I mean both of the discs, people will cite this as one of the reasons why they have gone back to listening to albums in their entirety.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: (laughs) Because, um, it's hard to describe but you can't listen to this work data lords both albums without listening to both albums without listening to the whole thing through and Do to you really...
1: think so? because i was I, yeah I, I don't know because i thought wow this is a tough this is a tall order you know people might need to you know listen to one piece and take a nap and then <laughs> well, I,
0: think, I think knowing the narrative that it is about this duality um, it kind of beds to be listened to through all the way through, and I, you know, whether that means a, a track now and a track this afternoon. But I mean, like, really trying to understand how you put it together. Um, that's one of my. That was one of my first takeaways when I got to hear it in its entirety. Was thinking, wow, this, this. Uh, I hope this is the reason why people start <laughs> listening to music all the way through again. You
1: I know? hope people do. I mean, I'll tell you, I've spent just such an inordinate, inordinate amount of time trying to get relative volumes and make things sound good in a sequence and everything. And, and, you know, people keep saying, oh, nobody listens to music that way anymore. And I'm like, oh God, that's so depressing. But maybe it is the case. I don't know. I mean, I, I certainly uh, do hope. Another thing is a lot of people don't read liner notes anymore because right. people are so used to the streaming culture. And to me, the liner notes are just essential on this album. You know, if you just listen to this music, you'd wonder, well, why, why that? And why that, you know, and, and but if you read, uh, Gene Paul said it, my mastering engineer, because I first sent, you know, the files to him. And when I started telling him what it is, he said, you have to tell people this, this should, you should be saying this on the album as audio in between the tracks because it makes it so much more wonderful to listen to. And, and I think it is important. So, you know, hopefully I've done everything I can to make this package so beautiful that people want to read it, you know?
0: Well, as soon as people see the album cover too, I I have to think they're going to be drawn in. It's gorgeous. Can you talk just a little bit about the album cover?
1: Yeah, well, there's this fabulous artist, Aaron Horky, who happens to be from my hometown and- um, From Wyndham? From Wyndham.
0: I didn't know that.
1: You didn't know that. Yeah, he's from Wyndham. I saw, I went to a little, uh, we, Wyndham has a historical society and it has a little gallery. It's just kind of one room and they, they have shows there. Nice things like quilters will show there or an artist or something. And in their regular collection, they had this Aaron Horkey and it was very, um, uh, it was prairie image, like a prairie image. Um, that just felt like home to me, but then very apocalyptic at the same time. And then I started reading articles about him and my sister had mentioned them to me, but I didn't know his work. He was younger than I was. And I started looking on the internet. If you, if you go to Aaron Horky, the A-A-R-O-N Horky, H-O-R-K-E-Y on Instagram, people okay. can see his work. It's insane. The detail is unbelievable. And so I was so nervous to call him. I was like, oh God, I hope he's going to want to do work with me on this album. And he did, you know, so, so then the, the you know, I told him, I didn't want to tell him what to do, you know, I, I, he does these birds with these helmets that I love, but I didn't want to steer him in any direction. So I just basically told him what the album was basically about, sent him a few rough mixes. And he came up with the idea himself of making a cottonwood leaf. And I recognized it immediately. Wyndham is in Cottonwood County. um, And so the cottonwood tree is an iconic tree for anybody from where I'm from. And uh, uh, for anyone from where I'm from. Um, And then what he did with the leaf, and it's so realistic. People might think it's a photo. I hope they know that it's, it's painted, even with the little hole, little holes from the bugs. You know, like uh, I don't know why th- that made a noise. Um, right. The holes from the bugs, you know, where it chews out between the veins and everything. And then he had the idea on the other side of the leaf to make the veins be computer circuitry. So, it's, and, so and so it's this kind of yin and yang between nature and 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 then the whole package opens up. And and my designer Sherry Dorr, who did the design for um, Thompson Fields, designed the package. And and so the whole thing opens up, and there's two CDs, and each CD is in a like a, a pocket with more artwork by Aaron. And the when it opens up, it's uh, it's it's a three page you know thing spread by Aaron. And then there's a die cut in the center, and then the book opens up, and that's got something else. And it's. It's beautiful. And then the photography is all by Brienne Lermit. and she did all the photography in the Thompson Fields. She came to Wyndham With me for those beautiful photos. And so she came and this time we recorded or we photographed the recording session. So I have just fabulous pictures of the guys in the band and it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty nice. Oh,
0: wow. I mean, when I first saw the album cover and I've only seen a picture of it on my computer. I thought I was looking at something that was 3D like I thought um, there was depth to it, right, but it's yeah. really
1: not. <laughs> and it is going to be, it is going to be, I mean, I haven't seen it yet or felt it, you know, but it's going to be, uh, you know, the, the, the real side of the, or the, the side of the leaf without the circuitry will be pushed out, you know, with uh, oh, like cool. uh, debossed right. and then the, cir- the gold circuitry is embossed and then the data lords is black embossed, black on black, which is a really nice look and it's, it's, it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So where can people listening go to order the album now? Because we're well, doing My, this
1: my this website is the best place, just mariaschneider.com. And yeah, they can, you know, you can pre-order it and, or, and then once it's out. And then the really uh, cool thing that I love also about Artist Share is not just selling directly to people, but we do documentation of projects. So these projects have been videoed for years by Marie LeClaire and um, everything from commissions I've done to past recordings. So whenever anybody buys a recording, they get access when they log in to all this other stuff. And like for this album, we're giving everybody who buys the album, uh, even if you buy the CD, you're also going to get high res downloads, which are extraordinary. I, I'm, I've, I'm, I've become suddenly woke to the idea of high-resolution downloads, 96 uh, resolution as opposed to 441, um, which a CD is. It's like a whole other universe. It feels like it's me standing in front of the band. It, I feel like the band is there. It's it's that big a difference, you know? It's uh,
0: How big of a difference does it matter, my audio equipment, like do I need good audio equipment to, to hear the difference
1: well bet not to hear the difference no not to hear the difference but to hear it to its maximum quality yes a, a good set of headphones will do it but the thing that you need is your computer if you're playing those files out of your computer you're not going to want to attach your it to your computer through the headphone jack i did that for years i had like a little you know mini stereo plug that went from my headphone Thing to a double RCA into back of my old style uh, amplifier. And what you really need to do is go out the USB. New amplifiers have a way that you can plug from a USB. I, I don't know, it's like an AB or I forget what it's called, to go into the back of the amplifier. Okay. But old amplifiers, you have to go through like a DAC, you know, a digital audio converter, so that you're you're converting the digital signal into the the analog did I say digital to audio digital to analog um, converter so um that is kind of all you need but and and right now it's hard to even get them because with covid I was trying to get one when I was working on mixes um and uh to use this other amp uh amp I had this old amp and uh you know, Sweetwater and all those companies, they said, oh, God, they're all sold out because everybody has been getting them for doing podcasts. That
0: surprise me. I just thought of this question, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but is there, have you ever thought about creating a way, whether it's on your website directly or on your artist share website, either or um, to stream your music for some sort of participatory paid level? And here's why I'm asking that. <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> Sorry,
1: I said, stay tuned.
0: Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that.
1: What were you going to say?
0: Well, you, you answered my question. I'm glad to hear that. Um, it's increasingly difficult to buy a CD player.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and CDs, uh, now I've learned, are not that great of sound. I mean, God, they're much better than an MP3. But if you can have high res, you know, it's like, whoa. The problem is with high res is they're really huge files. One thing I didn't say is somebody could play a high-res file on their computer and plug in their headphones to their computer. But I think it's still not the same as going out a USB through a digital audio converter and then putting your headphones in your amplifier, I think. I don't, you know I'm no uh, expert on this. But yeah, I, I, for me it's the problem is, you know, with the streaming thing is so many people want the convenience of that now. Yeah they're used to it, they've been trained into it, and um, convenience was, you know, the thing that was, you know, first put into into play through YouTube, you know, (laughs) it's like giving everybody's music away. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then, okay, now, now Spotify is competing with YouTube, and Spotify is practically giving everybody's music away. I mean, it's like what they're charging is absurd when you compare to what somebody like me pays, to make a record you could never with the audience size that i have this niche music make that money back on on the you know through streaming on any of these platforms the way that they're run and so i have to sell my music directly i have to preserve my marketplace otherwise i'm out of business i can't continue to throw hundreds of thousands of dollars into making records mm-hmm. but but the streaming is if people want that convenience of streaming so So all I would say is stay tuned, working on solutions.
0: Well, and I'm only also bringing that up for, I know it'll open up the audience. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. Because sadly, yes, the majority of people do access their music on Spotify. So they can't find your music there.
1: Well, so I did one thing this year um, because my music was completely not on Spotify because, you know, because of the things, you know, this idea that everybody's music is priced the same, whether you're somebody who makes music in your bedroom or you're me that spends, you know, hundreds of thousands making all these recordings and we're all being given the same amount per play and we're not allowed to set our own price. This is like anti-free market and it's really frustrating. But I did finally decide because it became obvious that if you're not there, you're not, you. You don't exist except for the people that know you already, so there's no discovery of you. So I finally, I put five songs on Spotify with an album that is uh, cut into four album covers. And I have noticed that some people have come to my site, you know, and, and right. I, I don't know if it's from that, but there's been some people buying some downloads, you know, it's, it's not a huge number. Right. But it just, you know, if, if there, there's that leak there that some people are going to discover me and then go looking for it and hopefully find their way to me. It's not, you know, it's not going to put your kid to college, let's say. <laughs> right.
0: Well, can I ask you uh, to sort of shifting topics here for just a second? If I'm doing the math correctly, you've been leading your own band for 25 years, more than
1: Yeah, yeah. uh, 20 Let's see. The first album was recorded in, was it 1993 or 1992? Um, Something like that. Uh, Yeah, so it's like 17, 18 years since, yeah, that very first recording.
0: Okay, so that in and of itself is an accomplishment (laughs) to be leading a big band for that long now. Um, It's not something many people can say right now. Is there anything this is sort of a two-part question I'm interested to hear what you've learned from that experience after all this time and then I'm also kind of interested how you might talk about that topic or the topic of band leading to music students if you ever have the chance to do that
1: so So, wait and say
0: what the first question I'm just kind of curious after having had the experience of leading your band for so many years now what advice would you have to aspiring band leaders that's one part of the question And then how do you talk about the concept of band leading if you do at all to music students because a big part of what you do is residency work. And I'm just thinking about my own experience as a music student that would have been something I would have loved to have heard someone with your experience talk about the the idea of band leading and and how do you Well,
1: Well, first of all, I think there is a there has been at least for me a value in having the same players largely. I mean, it's—it there's been changes over the years and those have been important, but having a lot of the same players over time uh, because you develop a way of playing together um, that everybody knows each other and that enables everybody to take more chances because they know, there's a level of trust with improvisatory music that mm-hmm. gets uh, built up. And so people, and also people get to know my music so well um, that they can take more risks. And and if, if you haven't played somebody's music very long, you've got to do everything pretty much the way the composer says, otherwise it could fall apart. But once everybody really knows it internally and everybody knows like how far it can stretch or whatever, now everybody can take risks and everybody knows the boundaries and everybody has a sensibility for the aesthetic that they're going for. So that's, that's the plus of doing this. And I I talked at length with George Wien about this. Like, he just, he loves the fact that my band has been together for so long and recognizes that it's really unusual. So then the second side is like, how do you do that? And, and that can also create a sort of stasis too. Um, it, it is important sometimes as a leader to make changes for yourself and for the music. Um, Everybody who has a small group, you know, has different projects that they work with. But if you're somebody like me with a band, and it's completely the same forever, um, you know, it, it is good to have it shaken up from time to time. So as a leader, those can be incredibly difficult decisions to make. They're difficult because you love these people, you know, and you're grateful for them, and they contribute so much to your music and Everybody's close, and then if you make a decision like that, it's really, really, really hard and sometimes it means uh, friendships are destroyed, you know, and some aren't depending on the person and how well they they deal with that. you know I had one person I said I wanted to make a change, and they said that's great, you should do that, and those are the kind of things I need to do in my music too, and thank you and if you ever want my help again I'll be there you know and then there's other people that like like, they, they never speak to you again, you know? So, but I, so those, are, that's the hard part, you know, of having a band. Um, what keeps everybody together, I think, is respect. I think that is the, the biggest word in the music business. You know, when people respect each other, um, then you can, be critical sometimes. I've had a couple of people come up to me in the band and say, you know, Maria, you did this thing. It wasn't that cool. Maybe you didn't realize you did it, but, you know, you shouldn't do this or da-da-da-da-da. You know, I I really appreciate when somebody comes to me with something like that and tells it to me with respect and with kindness, you know, as opposed to somebody letting it, you know, get to a certain point and they just blow up at you, you know? And so there's a um there's a huge part of this that's about just people skills and dealing with people. And, and yeah. I know I'm, I, and I'm sure I've made mistakes. Um, I've done my best. I know that, um, you know, if I look at the long list of people who have played my music, some on a steady basis, some for a few years, some for a few gigs, you know, wow, it's, it's just an amazing list of people and I'm grateful to them. But, um, yeah, leading a band, being a leader, knowing when to lead, and knowing when to give uh, some free reign to everybody, too, is really important. If you're like a control freak over every aspect of the music, um, you don't allow them to bring to the music what what you're they're there for as jazz musicians, you know, so I've given a little bit more freedom to musicians over the years, and I even have one thing I I did with this album is I had a few little um, kind of workshops where I'd have a few musicians come and we would just play and experiment and throw out ideas and try things just to expand my palette of of things that I might not otherwise get to with 18 people sitting there at a rehearsal. And that that was really fun. So.
0: Well, it's interesting that you mention the importance of being together for a while lends itself to being able to take risks. The music on Data Lord, specifically the music that you wrote that deals with technology and everything it 's risky sounding it's dangerous it's edgy it's like and so the few times i 've had a chance to see it live, I get that like I get that sense that the, that your band um, there's a mutual level of respect from the years they 've had together that 's coming together to play this new music, knowing uh, we 're not really sure what's going to happen. <laughs> Right? But like I'm thinking specifically about the um, composition you wrote that has Morse code. Because just watching you direct the band, you're holding up signs for that piece. And <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to imagine the musicians um, playing the music, there's a huge level of trust, not just with you as my band leader, but, um, I, you know, I'm trusting that you know where you are <laughs> in this piece um, of music.
1: So this, this piece, it's really interesting that you bring that one up because this is a piece I, you know, that the idea for it actually came from an artist share participant who saw a picture of my home and saw there were ham radio towers and said, you should write a piece with Morse code. Morse code was the first binary language that preceded ones and zeros. It's longs and shorts. And I was like, oh my God, that's brilliant. You know, and, and I was around Morse code as a kid because of my dad. Um, and so I had it in my head. I wanted to do that. I, I had three rehearsals. I pay everybody pretty well for each of those rehearsals. It's thousands of dollars to do, you know, it's more than $2,000 to rehearse. It's about $3,000 to rehearse my band. And I had three rehearsals trying different versions of that and failing. I felt like I failed. I didn't like it. It didn't speak to me. And I would finally, I was ready to give up. And then this summer I did a gig. Do you remember when I worked with the Ronnie Scott's band yeah. in London in, in July? So I pull up to the hotel and the hotel was called CQ. <laughs> wow. And when I saw it, and and when I saw it was called CQ, I'm like, okay, I'm not giving up. Because I was ready to start over and co- try to come up with something else, you know. And so I played around with different ideas and but the thing I will say is that I was so appreciative because the guys in the band, they didn't get like, Oh, what is this thing? Or, you know, they were all Maria, we know you, you're going to figure it out. You're going to, you're going to come up with something. It's going to be great. You know, they, I was just like, Oh man, don't say that. It's not going to be great. You know, I was, but I, I finally came up with something I really, really like and it's very unusual and it's, it is risky. And the only way we could stay together in the end was for me to hold up, you know, in, instead of telling them, okay, we're here, we're here. I literally had to hold up the letter A, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, because there's these rehearsal uh, letters on, on the uh, different bars. So I was just holding up letters and that's how we recorded it. And that's, if we ever play it in Carnegie Hall, I'll be holding up rehearsal letters <laughs> in Carnegie Hall because it's the only way to play this piece. And um, it, you know, it all finally, you know, came together, but yeah, it it took, you know, thank God I am with musicians that as they're playing something, it might not be, and I experimented, oh my God, in those rehearsals, we tried crazy things and everybody went for it with full commitment. You know, they tried every idea. They didn't poo poo it, none of it. And, you know, and so it was really, I'm really lucky to have that because not every idea is going to be good. Um, you know, not many ideas are going to be good, but if you don't have, again, and this is about even just being a musician playing in somebody's group, if you don't give them the respect to um, to be able to fail, right, then you miss that opportunity for that one maybe great idea that you could be a part of, you know, so I- I, I really, really um, appreciate them. And just one more thing on this topic of risk. This record is largely risky because of Bowie. <laughs> because David, when we were working together in my apartment, you know, and I was, I'm always scared. I'm always saying, oh, what if it doesn't work? What if people hate it? You know, oh my God, you know. And David was like, oh my God. And he said, forget that. He said, if the plane goes down, the great thing about music is everyone walks away. <laughs> and so, so I was thinking, yeah, you know what, you know, so everybody, everybody, you know, if, if it, if it isn't good, what, what does it matter? Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Yeah. So this album does have its share, fair share of really. did you
0: tell? Did David tell you what some of your earlier works were that influenced him, that steered him towards your music? Did you ever have that conversation? That,
1: oh yes, yeah, that early on, the first time we met, yeah, he said, uh, he really liked uh, uh, Don't Be Evil, or not Don't Be Evil, sorry, that's on the new album. Uh, "A You Monster to My Soft Song and Worgly. Those, especially those two pieces. I mean, he was a big fan of the band, but he liked that intense stuff, you know, that kind of edgy dark um, stuff, not really surprising.
0: Yeah, that makes
1: sense. <laughs>
0: wow. Well, I'm so glad you told some of those stories behind the, uh, you know, behind the music, so to speak um i'm conscious of your time i'm grateful for your time is there anything else we should talk about the album that we haven't covered
1: let me think uh if i can think of anything about that just maybe just the players you know i i really do my best to try to uh write things that bring something special out of those players that that highlight things that i love about them you know and there are just so many great solos. I mean, this album has a lot of uh, Ben Monder things, not just when he solos, but it, it just the things he plays, uh, you know, behind people and alongside people. Um, it's the, the, on CQ, there's a Donnie McCaslin solo where it's just a trio with guitar, Jonathan Blake on drums, and, and uh, Donnie, and they're free to play whatever they want. They just have to get from point A to point B you know, with, with, with seamlessness mm-hmm. and in between they can go anywhere. And, um, the listening and the level of, of creativity and, and in connection between them is amazing. Um, Marshall Jilks is featured on, on look up. He has so much agility in, in this beautiful sound and he just, oh my God. The, um, on one the, of my favorite
0: pieces, by the way, on the whole project, What up.
1: Look up, yeah, he, and he's just spectacular on it. Um uh Ryan Keverly uh, has a trombone solo on Don't Be Evil that is just brilliant, you know, and he plays almost like these almost uh da, 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 da uh, how do you call it? What's that kind of call to uh it's like a oh, what do they call it? Like in a battlefield when there's a bugle call kind of it almost or, is, almost like the trap sound like battle call battle cry kind of. Right. What was that? Well, I was
0: thinking of Traps, but that's not what you're thinking of.
1: Well, Taps is in the piece. I wrote Taps into the piece. Oh, okay. But, but, but it's is it Revelry or something? It's almost like that. You know, it's got that kind of aspect. It's just very, very intense. And then Steve Wilson on Stone Song. That is just what he does on that is incredible. And then it's not just him, it's the interaction between him and Gary Versace on accordion and Frank on piano and Jay on bass and again Jonathan Blake and just the way they communicate. So, you know, this album just has the brilliance of the performance um, that is, you know, is just impossible not to recognize. Just so many great, great solos. Um, Greg Gisbert on on CQ with his electronics. Greg, who didn't for years even have a computer, is suddenly playing electronic trumpet and it's really great. So, yeah. So anyway, it's it's fun. I hope people will enjoy it.
0: Well, I would say, I wish we could end this by telling people when they can see the band immediately.
1: Oh, God, isn't that, I just pray to God November can happen, but I, I will see, you know? Yeah.
0: But it'll happen. And in the meantime, everybody has to go to mariaschneider.com or they can go to artist share. And uh, now's the time to order the album because it's shipping soon. Congratulations.
1: Oh, my God. Barring any, like, you know, massive problem. I just, oh, somebody said that uh, Mercury is finally going out of retrograde today. Hooray! (laughs) Whatever that means, it's supposed to make things better. Good.
0: We'll take it. Well, Maria, (laughs) thank you so much for talking to me today. And, um, you know, the album is just amazing. It's just amazing. I hope you're proud of what you've done. It's really cool.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Mike.
0: You've worked so hard on it. Yeah, it's awesome.
1: Thank you. I love you. Thank you for having me here.
0: Of course, my pleasure. All right. Okay. Okay. I'll talk Bye. to you later. Bye.